The Premier League season is over, but we still have the Champions League and the Europa League to come. And Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score a number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from the Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm joined now by Alex Stewart. Morning, Joe. <laughs> Hello. And uh, Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hello, Joe. Okay, less less weird kind of breathing mouth noise there. That wasn't uh, a weird breathing mouth noise. You know exactly what, what was happening. Yeah, I do. And I won't say because this is a family show. Uh, today's episode is Sensible Transfers. We're focusing on three teams, Arsenal, Leicester City and Brighton. Now, for those of you who don't know, in the Sensible Transfers series, we analyse teams, we identify problem areas and then we suggest solutions in the form of incoming players. So welcome to Sensible Transfers. But before we continue, I'd love to remind you all that we have expanded this series across the Athletics editorial site. Alex Stewart has been keenly working with all of the uh, the Athletics club correspondent writers to create a Sensible Transfers article for every club that the Athletic covers, which is all the Premier League teams, a couple in Scotland, five in the, in the Championship. So if you're listening to this uh, and you're thinking, gosh darn it, I wish this family podcast stroke YouTube channel would make a video, Sensible Transfers video about my club, and we haven't because your club is tiny and meaningless, we have written <laughs> Uh, an editorial piece specifically for you in exactly the same form. Hey, if you're a Sheffield Wednesday fan, not tiny and meaningless, very important club, very important. But, you know, we haven't made a video about you. Uh, Alex has worked with Nancy Frostick to write a, uh, a significant sensible transfers piece about you, which I haven't read yet, but I'm informed is very good, Alex. Yes, it is. Yes, and he can say that because he wrote some of it. So if you would like to read these pieces, uh, or indeed any of the other pieces that appear on The Athletic, or just give it a try, you can do. Uh, and at the moment, we're offering 40% off an annual subscription, which works out to something like, in the UK, just over three, oh, maybe three pounds? I can't remember how much. It, anyway, it's three, four pounds a month. Who knows? It could be it could be a hundred. I don't know. It's not a hundred. It's about three or four pounds. Uh, and if you visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO transfers, that's forward slash TIFO transfers, uh, you can make use of that 40% off offer. I am informed that there are, uh, I think there's free trials if you just land on the site too. So if you want to try it out first, you could always do that and then come back and use our sign up code. Anyway, without further ado, uh, we will get on with it and we'll be starting with uh, Arsenal Football Club. Okay, Arsenal. Um, now, 
Before we get started with Arsenal, I, I am uh, aware that our podcast producer Adonis is a, a, actually a dedicated Arsenal fan, and so I thought, uh, in all fairness, you know, we want to hear the fans' voice on this podcast. We, it's not just us stuffy old fools that you want to hear from. We want to know what actual people who actually like football are thinking. Uh, so I thought before we get into positions that we're going to inspect in the Arsenal team, I just check each time with Adonis that this is this is actually accurate. Uh, the first one, Adonis, is a. Uh, a decap has asked for a centre back. Do, do Arsenal need a centre back? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes, that's a, that's a really good start. Uh, so, Alex, I'm going to come to you first, and I'm going to ask you to explain why Arsenal need uh, a new centre back. I mean, if anyone's watched the games recently with uh, David Luiz involved, then I, I suppose this probably won't be entirely necessary. Uh, but if you could caveat it with the Arteta way, I'm, what I'm looking for from you is to understand exactly what Arteta is trying to do and, and therefore how that uh, informs his need for uh, a particular type of centre-back. Okay, well, that's tricky because there's there's essentially two answers here. What we think Arteta wants to do based on stuff that he's said on how he tried to get Arsenal playing when he first took over is a 4-2-3-1 where much of the creativity is coming from the double pivot and also from a number 10 and the centre-backs are there to progress the ball quickly to those midfielders and do the defending. That hasn't worked so much uh, for various reasons, and so he has also used a back three where David Luiz has sat in the centre and used his genuinely good range of long passing to progress the ball out wide uh, and try and generate dynamism and attack from the the quick wide players like Nicolas Pepe or or Aubameyang or Bissaka. So it's hard to know which of those. We can assume that Arteta will probably want version A, but version B is what he has also used probably because of the personnel available. So from that perspective, Arsenal, we can assume, should be looking for a defensively solid centre-back, somebody who doesn't panic, somebody who is able to get the ball forward quite quickly and ably to the midfield double pivot, passing the ball through the lines. They're probably not looking for somebody who can rake the ball out into the wide areas like David Luiz, because that's probably not how they're going to play in the future. Okay, that's interesting. Correct me when I, when I am wrong, but I tend to see uh, defenders in two categories – the defenders who are really good uh, sort of stoppers almost uh, who are big beefy and gruff and uh, will will tackle you hard and then you know make the easiest pass uh, or lob it forwards and then the sort of uh, incredibly uh, technically gifted uh, small defenders with the all of the turning and the the, the you know the ballet lessons um, there are some in between aren't there those aren't just the only two types no, I mean, the the best central defenders are people like Virgil van Dijk, who are both of those things. Um, but obviously, they're incredibly highly prized because of their ability to do the defensive fundamentals well and also to be able to progress the ball. It is worth saying that in looking at central defenders, there, there are a couple of things that make it really difficult. Firstly, is statistics with central defenders don't really reflect a great deal. Like, there may be a useful guide if you're looking for certain types of defenders. But by and large, because defence is such a systemic thing, um, really you need to be understanding how that defender fits into the system that they're currently playing in. And I think also crucially who their defensive partner is. Um, 
So in the video that we did looking at the, the Champions League fixture between Manchester City and Real Madrid, we talked about how Real Madrid's um, two defenders are very, very different in terms of what they do. So one is much more progressive, one is much more uh, back, looking for blocks, looking for clearances, the other one brings the ball out. So I think it's it's not just a question of saying that, that stats aren't that helpful for central defenders. It's also worth pointing out that you really do need to have a grip of the system that that defender is already playing in, the sort of stuff that they're expected to do, and the kind of defensive partner that they're currently working with and also that they will be working with. And presumably, um, William Saliba is, is a player who will at least be in contention to be one of those who a new person might be working with. I would suggest that William Saliba should be the first defender's name on the team sheet, yeah. I mean, he's he's done very, very well at Saint-Étienne in the matches that he's played. Obviously, he had injury problems. Saint-Étienne did not have a good season, but they were worst when Saliba wasn't present. Um, and actually, for that very reason, one of the names I've suggested is Wesley Fofana, um, who is the person who played mostly alongside Saliba at Saint-Étienne is in a similar sort of mould. The two of them work well together. Uh, Fafana is also young. He's also decent at passing. He's good in the air. So he he would be... I mean, it, it sort of seems like a bit of a cheat to go back and say, well, just buy the other one as well. But yeah. but that that is actually quite a good idea. Yeah, OK. Well, I'll come back to you for your others uh, and I'll go to, sure. to Seb now. So Seb, with what Alex says in mind, who are you suggesting for potential incomings in this area? So I, I went a slightly different direction. I went, um, had a, a kind of more abstract <laughs> solution. Um, and surprise, surprise. Yeah, on the basis that Arsenal um, have some financial restrictions, I went to Inter Milan to snatch up the veteran Diego Godin. Because, because... Well, he really because, is a veteran, isn't he? I mean, he he's really 35? is. He's almost as old as I am. He's 34, um, okay. but soon to be 35. And the reason is, is that I, I'm not shopping for someone who's going to play 38 games. I don't, I don't need that. What, I, what I'm focused on... Um, is almost really a, a role model. You've got Saliba coming in. I, c- I completely agree with Alex that um, he's going to be the, one of the first names on the team sheet next season. Um, and given what Arsenal have spent on him, you'd hope so. I want not just a leader, because that's quite trite. I want someone with uh, defensive credentials. I want someone with a proper defensive resume. I want someone in that department um, who is respected more than a David Luiz type. I accept that David Luiz is a interesting personality and, and someone that's well liked within the Arsenal dressing room. But I want I want that kind of almost a veteran leadership there. So um Gadeen's a nice little option. I, I don't I don't actually think for the sake of um filling out the first team Arsenal need any more defenders beyond Saliba. They just need a better direction. They need a a defence which is protected a little bit better. So uh, hence some of my selections in defence and midfield, which we'll we'll get to. But Gadeen's a nice little budget option and um you know might might uh, might be quite useful as well. Let's talk about David Luiz just for a second because his contract was extended, right? Or he was offered a new one-year contract. Yeah. I can't remember which one. Um, what does that say to you about um, about the defence at this club at this point? I mean, is it is it just that have I been caught up as many people have in uh, viewing David Luiz as as a as a sort of you know air quotes complete joke on the basis of those fairly frequent or at least maybe not frequent but fairly consistent mistakes you know game-changing mistakes that he seems to make presumably there's a valuable player there Arsenal obviously see that if they're prepared to to, to extend or offer a new one-year contract yeah I think so I think it's quite easy to kind of bounce between um sort of the the, the binary assessments of a player like David Luiz um I think what it actually describes is that Arsenal um aren't willing to spend 
large amounts of money on their defense at, the, at this point in time or that they can't um, afford to spend large amounts of money. Um, and so the logic presumably is that renewing David Luiz's contract is a cheaper option um, as opposed to um, buying someone from somewhere else who perhaps uh, doesn't have any experience of English football, doesn't know the players in the Arsenal dressing room. For whatever whatever we think about David Luiz, he is popular. He is a liked player. He is a big personality and, you know, players at the club react well to him. So I kind of, beyond the kind of the initial lulls of that decision to extend this deal, there is a logic there and I can kind of understand it. The key, though, is ensuring that he doesn't have to play too often. Um, so yeah. it's, uh, it's you know, and, and Alex touched on it. There are qualities that he has which are very useful um, to what Arteta is trying to, trying to build, but also abilities which are quite difficult to find. I mean, you don't, you don't get many... Um, players with his sort of with his distributional abilities um for less than sort of 20 25 million pounds so if you've got one and if you can properly protect him then you might as well just keep him there can can you remind me what game it was when he hit his face and then revealed it when he was you know sort of gone down under uh, false pretenses i suppose after a tackle was attempting to get someone sent off and then was smiling about it to the cameras or to the to the crowd because i i always remember that and it was when he was at chelsea it was yeah. when he was at Chelsea. I, I always remember that. And I always remember, I, I, I feel like I, I very much struggle to try and rid that that association. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. to, to, to forget about that face. Because he, he, he does have quite a striking face as well. Uh, to, uh, to to forget about that, that face. And I feel like it, it, um, it corrupts my, um, uh, well, clearly not very objective perspective when it comes to David Luiz, who, as you say, you know, has, has many positive qualities. I wonder if, you know, I wonder if that's true for other people. I don't know how to respond to that other than to well, say... Well, that, no, that's fine. <laughs> I think other than... I, I think that was against... He, he was definitely a Chelsea player at the time and it was at Stamford Bridge in that far right-hand corner um, looking from the press box. And um, I think it I, might I have think, been against United. I think it might have been against Man United. And I think it was um, part of a sequence which led to Raphael getting sent off. I might be right. wrong about that. Right. So um, I'm sure the internet will be keen to tell me if I am. But yeah, I think it's about, about right. Anyway, the things you remember, hey? People's faces. Who'd have thought evolution has designed us for a reason? Uh, Adonis, uh, Sue Rav Manu has asked us to talk about a defensive midfielder. Is that a position that Arsenal need to fill? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Adonis is my favourite person on this podcast. He gives me exactly what I want. Uh, Alex, uh, again, tell me uh, why they need to fill this position, and, and also what you, what we think, at least, Arteta might be uh, might be expecting here. I think the main reason that they need to fill this position is that the two guys that they've they've brought in recently to do it have not settled. Um, so Gwenduzi who is not a pure defensive midfielder, um, but has had disciplinary issues. Torreira, again, not a pure defensive midfielder, and at Sampdoria excelled uh, in a diamond midfield. And I think is still a very, very good player, but but hasn't clearly won his confidence. He wants somebody who is able to tackle, uh, shield the back four or back three, but also drop in and receive the ball and, and spray it around a bit. And this is why he's been using Xhaka in that position. Uh, largely alongside Chalabos. Chalabos? Ceballos. Ceballos, that's the fella. I was trying to work out who you were saying. Who are you talking about? I, He's I invented have, a player. I have a, just the worst blind spot when it comes to pronunciation. Um, and, um, and I think, again, 
you know, we whether he's doing a three four three uh, or a four two three one, that the midfield is constructed as a double pivot. So there is going to be one more defensive player. There's going to be one more progressive player. Um, I think pretty much every team recognizes that the need for somebody to win the ball back and, and screen the defense potentially to drop in between um, the two central defenders of a back four and bring the ball out like that that's just a kind of generally recognized need across most teams um and he probably just doesn't have confidence in in the people that are there um Arsenal lack kind of bite in that part of the pitch um so that's that's part of what they want um i mean the the cheap option who i think is worth looking at is a guy called alexis blinn who uh was at amiens um who got relegated and so he'd be relatively inexpensive but 23 years old french very very good defensive numbers reasonable progressor of the ball the sort of person that you could bring in and see how it goes without it being a massive outlay Djibril Sal, who's at Eintracht Frankfurt, is a really, really strong defensive midfielder, much more kind of all-action, ball-winning, um, quite tall as well, which is good, gives aerial presence in that area. Less good in terms of distribution, um, but would break up play very well and, and ship it to whoever the more progressive player is. Obviously, the guy they've been linked with a lot is Thomas Partey. I don't think Partey is actually a straightforward defensive midfielder. I think he's much more dynamic. He gets forward a lot more. Um, but again, you know, you you can kind of see the argument. I think that would leave them without sufficient cover if they were only playing a double pivot, though. I like that. Seb? Okay, so I like my um, my defensive midfielders to be long-legged. Something reassuring about that, about their ability <laughs> no, I like, to I like my central defensive uh, long legs. Give all the ones with the long legs. Sal has got very long legs. He oh. does, which is what I like. Um, I, I've got three other options, which uh, all players with very long legs. Um, first one is <laughs> all of them also <laughs> Jeffrey Kondogbia. Um, Peter Lim is doing weird things at Valencia, um, including um, selling Danny Parejo for very little money uh, to Villarreal, apparently. Um, Kondogbia, you know, veteran um, defence midfielder. We know what he brings. A uh, bit of security for Arsenal. Good footballer, though. So, um, you know, and uh, it, it doesn't seem as if, um, yeah, it doesn't seem like uh, Lim or Valencia are in uh, team-building mode. So there might be a little bit of a bargain to be done there. Okay. Um, another bargain option, um, go to Bournemouth and snatch up Philip Billing. Um, yeah, yeah. Not really convinced he was used particularly well by Eddie Howe last season. He's a good player. I would say uh, last year he was he was asked to do a little bit too much. Like he was asked to be um, a, a, you know, a jack of a few too many trades in that midfield. If you simplify his role, um, there's a, obviously a very good footballer there, but also a you know, pretty um, pretty mighty physical presence as well. Um, so that bit might be a nice deal. The one I really like though, and this is a, this is a little bit speculative um, because of who he plays for. Um, I like Yanga Herrera, um, Granada's uh, online Manchester City midfielder. A really interesting player. Young, I think he's still 22. Um, whether I don't know what his situation is at City, um, but I like the Arteta connection. Um, so I'm uh, I'm banking on there being something to be to be done there potentially. Um, but I like him. He's a he's a little bit slighter than either Kondogbia or Billing. He's um, he's just a you know a more slender footballer, but a, a good one too, um, and a really really good tackler which um, 
sure Adonis will support me in saying that Arsenal desperately, desperately need. <laughs> nice choice. I like uh, Kondogbia. He's a good player. Good player. Um, okay, so if we're done with defensive midfielder, uh, let's move on to the next role. Uh, Frederator Music asks for attacking midfielder. Now, Adonis, uh, do, you, do, do Arsenal need an attacking midfielder? Yes, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Alex, you know the drill by now. I mean, basically what Arsenal lack is somebody who consistently gets the ball into the final third, into the penalty area and creates what we call key passes, which are passes that that um, open up a shooting opportunity. Uh, they, they're quite good up until that point, but there isn't somebody who can, to use a slightly trite phrase, unlock a defence, um, mm-hmm. particularly deeper lying defences. So they want hashtag creativity you know this is the thing that <laughs> sure they want online creativity i just i yeah but well people always talk in cliches about this stuff don't they it gets quite upsetting um but yeah basically they want somebody who's good at making stuff happen in the final third um this is the area that we focused on in the uh, written sensible transfers piece and the the main pick that i went for there uh was pellegrini the the roma um 10 he is basically very good at doing all the things that get the ball into dangerous areas, whether that's passing, carrying, releasing nice little through balls. Uh, he can drift wide and cross as well. I would also mention two other league arm players quickly. Um, Angelo Fulgini, who's at Angers, um, is uh, probably the, the less expensive option, but, but nicely creative, does all of those sorts of you know busy little touches around the area. Um, and Angers are a great side to watch. Um, Jeffrey Nadelard, who is one of the players that Arsenal should never have let go, but did, um, has been flourishing there as well. The other option um, is somebody who we looked at before the World Cup as somebody who could potentially be really good and was during the World Cup, um, which is Alexander Golovin. Um, Golovin kind of fell uh, into a very weird situation at Monaco following a big money move. Uh, Monaco kind of imploded but they still have a lot of good players in that squad Um, and Golovin is a very dynamic ball carrier he's a good goal threat Uh, he is creative and he 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 looks like the sort of player who could be uh, slightly like um, Seb was saying about Kondogbia who could be kind of rehabilitated out of a weird situation that he's found himself in that maybe makes him look less good than he actually is okay that's interesting uh Seb Right, I went left field, um, and uh, the symmetry will... Uh... Are you, are you going to preface every single selection with, I, I was slightly off-piste here? <laughs> yeah, because I, 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 I feel like um, some of my selections were made quite late at night, and they felt very, very clever at the time, sure. and now in the cold light of day, maybe a little bit less so. All that pistachio um, ice cream, hey? You've got to be careful there, Seb, but do go on. <laughs> I went to Trabzonspor in, in Turkey, and... I'm having a punt at Abdul Qadir Amur. Um, my Turkish-speaking wife might correct me on the pronunciation there. Um, she's actually just laughing at me. Um, but yeah, uh, diminutive, small, um, really, really skillful. Lovely little sort of subtle range of passing. Context is a bit of a problem. I don't know how good he would be in a more physical league. Um, and I don't know whether... Um, he is technically quite good enough to um, to perform the, the the role that I want from him here, but he's interesting. He's the kind of player that you might take a take a risk at and see if you can kind of grow him into a um, 
into a kind of evolved version of Meza Ozil, possibly. Um, so yeah, uh, he's uh, interesting and also probably cheap. I mean, in Turkey, he's um, he like you know four hundred other players in world football at the moment. He has that kind of uh, Messi moniker. He is the Turkish Messi um, yeah. to go with uh, every other country's Messi. Um, but he's uh, he's worth looking at. Okay, cool. Uh, we've got one more for Arsenal, which we're going to rush through because uh, we've got two other clubs to get to. Um, uh, uh, you know, I'm slightly fearful, but Adonis, uh, do you do you need a striker if Lacazette leaves? Really, really, Jack. <laughs> oh, I feel scolded, uh, Alex. Uh, this is just on the basis that that Lacazette might might be leaving. I read a rumor. Uh, if Lacazette does leave, I just just a quick couple of names uh, rather than the explanation of of who might be good players to to replace him. Marcus Turam, Raphael Liao. Oh, lovely. That was quick. Uh, Seb, same, please. No, I didn't. I don't think he needs replacing. I think you've got um, you've got Saka, you've got Martinelli coming back from injury. Emil Smith Rowe will return from loan at some point. I, th- I think you're okay there. Okay, well that was good and good and easy. Uh, so not much work to do, Adonis, uh, for Arsenal. Uh, we'll be back shortly, uh, and, and at which point we'll be uh, we'll be covering Leicester City, followed by Brighton. Hi there, I'm David Ornstein and I've launched a brand new show on YouTube, Ask Ornstein, where I answer questions from our athletic subscribers. To get your question answered, simply leave a comment at the bottom of my column every Monday and I'll choose my favourites. To watch the show, head over to the TIFO Podcast YouTube channel and a new episode will be up every Tuesday afternoon. Okay, uh, Leicester City. Now, uh, the, again, the listeners have sent in questions which we've picked up here and collected and we've, we've meshed with, with our own research. Um, but the interesting bit for me, I think, that uh, to discuss uh, as it relates to Leicester is, uh, is Jamie Vardy, because Jamie Vardy, he's getting on in age now. Uh, he's obviously the, the golden... Was he, he was the golden boot winner in the Premier League this year, am I right in saying that, Seb? He was indeed. Yeah, he yeah. was indeed. Uh, so, I mean, at his age, he's clearly a very, very effective striker. Uh, but I thought this might sort of spur us on to have a conversation about how a club approaches replacing a, a, an ageing emblem uh, and a player who's essentially unreplaceable, as is Jamie Vardy. So we'll get to that. Um, but to start with, uh, Edin asks for a winger, saying, uh, it seems to me uh, Leicester have a lack of quality wingers and uh, I'm sure that there are better options than Barnes and Gray. Seb, would you agree with that? Not at all. Not at all. Harvey Barnes is a wonderful player um, and, you know, will only get better. Damari Gray, slightly different issue because he hasn't quite become the player that he was supposed to. He hasn't quite um, developed as he was, as he looked like he might at some at one point. Um, but I, I think that's about, I think that's Leicester's responsibility to cure. I certainly wouldn't, um, in the hierarchy of, of their needs, I don't see um, Winger as being something that, that needs addressing. Well, certainly not right now. Okay, and Alex, would you agree with that? Yes. Well, we really are steaming now, aren't we? Uh, Ironic Virus 14 asks for a left back to <laughs> potentially <on>. replace Chilwell. <laughs> no, no, no hovering. No, okay. no, no. Okay. Okay. I don't want. Right. I don't want to know what might come out of my mouth. Can I just chuck out one name though that is interesting? Is the name Ironic Virus 14? <laughs> no, it's not. For winger. Yeah. Oh yeah, go ahead. I mean, I just want to. Fabian Reese, who's at Holstein Kiel in the Bundesliga mm-hmm. 2, is a six foot two, incredibly quick winger with really good feet um, and gets the ball into dangerous areas better than anyone in Bundesliga 2. Just wanted to, you know. Do you know who he reminds me of? Fabian Ruiz, remember? Oh, yeah, okay. I mean, no. no. Even my pronunciation's not that bad. Uh, 
no, no, the player Fabian Ruiz. Yes, I know, but Reese sure. and Ruiz are not homophones, are they? I mean, sort of. In the. <sighs> I feel like this might not be the strongest bit of podcast content. I think we. <laughs> The thing is, Seb, you you got trust in the silences. You got trust in the little okay. breaks. Yeah. Silence there's, there's, make me feel uncomfortable, Joe. I like, know, but that's well, you just dive straight into that one, didn't you? Just you, you yeah, it's like you're just... a sort of a wedding on a boring table, and you you had to keep talking about yourself. Uh, there's there's a humour in the silences. There's a there's a love. It builds over time. You know, people grapple with the characters. They realise that we're fallible, um, but everything's fine. Ironic virus fourteen asks for a left back to potentially replace Chilwell. Seb, no silence, please. Dive right in. Terrell Malasia from Feyenoord. There you go. Failing that, um, let's go back to Valencia and uh, play on uh, Peter Lim's weird mood and snatch Jose Gaia. <laughs> that sounds like a lovely concept album. Playing on Peter Lim's weird mood. So, that's good. Tell me about tell me about Jose Gaia. What's uh, what's so good about him? Uh, think of you kind of a Spanish archetype of a uh, left sided fullback. Um, aggressive with the ball good in attacking areas. I think um, I think we're working on the basis that Ben Chilwell is probably off. Um, mm. or it certainly is of interest to some very big and uh, financially powerful clubs. So you're kind yeah. of trying to replicate his um, his ability to, to kind of under and overlap in the attacking third. Jose Gaia, he's not the very best fullback in the con- on the continent. Um, once upon a time, he's expected to become that. Hasn't really worked out that way, but still a very good player. And, um, you know, we've, we've, we've touched on this topic a few times. Deserving of a better situation, I think. Uh, deserving right. of a club that's right. um, moving in a slightly more positive direction. Well, you touched on it there, but just explain to me what it is that Leicester get out of their fullbacks, Seb. The best way of describing it is to look at what they were when their fullbacks were missing. Um, yeah. So throughout the sort of the, um, the, uh, the the combat period in the Premier League, um, Leicester became extremely narrow. They became quite slow paced. I suppose the term you'd use is thrust, as well as both being really good footballers. Um, the kind of the, the gear changes that those two fullbacks provide are invaluable to Brendan Rodgers' football. Um, and without them... Um, there's a couple of other reasons why Leicester slumped. Uh, it, that's not oversimplified, but fundamentally, without those fullbacks, they just don't have the kind of the um, the attacking power that they need. All right, so it's super important, uh, Alex. With super that in important. mind, and with your little giggle about the word thrust, can you tell me? Um, <laughs> can you tell me who should replace Ben Chilwell? Um, yeah, if you want, if you want that word that begins with the T that I can't say without laughing again, um, Mikel Carbonic. Um, who's at Legia Warsaw, um, who is a 19-year-old um, Polish under-19 international, um, provides much of that thing. Um, he's he's very, very quick. He's very direct. Uh, he's a good crosser of the ball. Um, he's He's been linked with a few bigger clubs, um, but he's, he's a really, really interesting prospect. Um, two other things I think are worth saying... Um, Jonathan Panzo, um, the former Chelsea youth product who is at Monaco but has been on loan in Belgium. Um, the reason he's nice is that he is very quick and gets forwards well, but he can also cover as a centre-back, which gives them options if they want to play three at the back, for example. Um, the other thing is Luke Taylor, who's already there. Um, Luke Taylor's yeah. really impressed um, in in kind of covering towards the end of the season. Um, got his first assist and his first start, I think. So it, it's not like they necessarily have to go out. I mean, obviously, Rogers will kind of weigh up whether or not Taylor's ready for first-team football. But, you know, young fullbacks coming into the side directly out of the academy have done well in the Premier League recently. So 
there's no reason to, to think that Taylor would be much different. KCK finally asks for a striker as a, uh, as a uh, well, KCK says as a Vardy replacement, I assume uh, perhaps perhaps they mean uh, as a backup for now. But it, it, I mean, I, I do want to get onto some names that, that might suit here. But first, I thought it would be interesting to ha- have a little bit of this conversation because uh, when I tried to approach it in my mind, I had uh, literally no idea what I would do in the, in the position of, of Leicester at this point because uh, Jamie Vardy is, I mean, how old is he now? 30, 33, 33, Seb? He's 33, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in terms of a striker, he really is getting on. And for a striker who relies um, a lot on his pace, which, you know, appears to be, you know, seemingly unaffected at the moment, that's going to catch up with him at some point, right? So Leicester are clearly in a position where they think we have a uh, an exceptionally uh, uh, top-class striker at the moment. Uh, we are going to need to replace this striker, uh, not necessarily like for like, but certainly bring in enough quality to try and maintain the league positions that they've been uh, certainly, uh, well, pre-restart were were attaining beforehand. Any chance of getting into the top four, and there's no way that, uh, you know, a downgrading from Jamie Vardy is going to assist that. Um, Given that he's such a unique player, I I don't even know how he would start to go about replacing him and at what point you try to do that as well because he's clearly still playing well so this impacts um the sort of players that you might be looking to to bring in probably not i would assume someone to start as a replacement for vardy in which case are you bringing in a young player who has potential who can maybe replace him over time or are you looking for a backup for now and uh, in the summer that you think vardy maybe has finally dropped off the quality a little bit that's when you look to, to properly replace him alex how would you approach uh, dealing with this situation well, I think one of the ways Leicester have approached it is that they have actually altered the way they attack a little bit. Um, so the, the video that we did looking at all of Vardy's goals, he is relying on pace less now. Um, and I think one of the things about Vardy is that because so many of the goals that we associate with the title winning side were these, you know, running onto long through balls from Mares or Drinkwater, we forget how good Vardy is in the box in terms of his his close-in movement, his ability to shift away from defenders, his ability to get onto the blind side, have a little acceleration over three or four yards to, to meet across. And Leicester's style under Rodgers has evolved towards something where he is able to do it without relying on pace quite as much. So I think that, that natural stylistic shift does... Um, give Vardy greater longevity than perhaps it would have done if he was simply playing in a in a counter-attacking direct side um, uh, still. Having said that, yes, obviously, he's a massive part of what they do. Um, I think in terms of a not a like-for-like replacement, because I genuinely don't think that's possible, but someone I mentioned in, in the last podcast, Adrian Huno at Rennes, is uh, is a very, very good kind of Vardy clone. He is quick. He's a good ball carrier. Um, but he does have that predatory penalty box movement as well. Um, also, Odson Edouard, who's the Celtic striker, he's not a Vardy clone, um, but he's quick, he's direct, he finishes well running onto through balls. Um, he's just a very promising all-round striker who's attracting a lot of attention from Premier League sides for, for good reason and is the sort of player who I think could come in, you know, spend a season working with Vardy coming off the bench, but then be ready to take over the mantle in, in a season or two. And Seb, I'll put the same question to, to you as well. Yeah, I've got two different approaches. The first is to <clears throat> to find a, a compliment to Vardy, someone that can come in and, and not understudy him, but support him as someone who's used to counter-attacking, 
someone that's got pace, someone that can replicate some of the elements of Vardy's game. Obvious solution is Callum Wilson. Um, it's an economic solution as well because we we believe he's available for somewhere between 10 and 15 million pounds. The um, the future replacement thing, I agree with everything Alex said, it's, it's tricky. Um, so instead of trying to um, mimic every aspect of Vardy's game I've just tried to look for pace and the ability to break behind so I've gone for RZ Alkmaar's Myron Badu who would cost a lot of money Yeah, but that is your long term option I think what, what we have to accept with Vardy is two things firstly that um, he's a young 33 because he came to the professional game very late so he doesn't have the same miles on the clock as uh, you know another player who's been you know who, who, who's been playing at this level from the age of 20 onwards um, the second thing is when the when the end comes quickly with players that are athletically dependent, you have to be in a position to move on immediately. You cannot have a situation where Vardy's legs go in the middle of a season and then from a position of weakness, Leicester are trying to shop um, you know, six months later after they've fallen down the table with you know a, a lack of goals. So they have to be in a position to to manage this transition properly. So there has to be a player at the club who can shoulder the responsibility of being a first choice nine. And it has to happen before Vardy reaches the kind of the end of his usefulness. So it's awkward. No matter no matter what you do here, politically it's tricky. Um and there'll probably be some friction at some point. But um but he's a fantastic player. Um he uh, he's gonna appear in a couple of uh, I think uh one of at least one of Alex's uh, sensible transfer videos coming up, spoiler alert. Yes. Um but with good reason because he's excellent. Okay, well, listen, that was Leicester City. Uh, In a moment, we'll return and uh, we'll be covering Brighton and uh, Hove Albion. Okay, Uh, Arthur Stewart, who I assume is a a, a sort of distant relation to uh, to our very own Alex Stewart here, asks for a left back, a left back for Brighton. Alex, uh, let's start with you. And also, can I get a little bit of uh, of an idea as to what Brighton are, are are looking for from their from their fullbacks generally? Yeah, it's tricky because they've obviously been using Dan Byrne um, as a converted or converted from a centre back as a left back. Um, also, Graham Potter is uh, system wise extremely flexible. So you know, sometimes he plays a back three, sometimes he plays a back four, and there's like a kind of narrow midfield. Sometimes they call there's... him the the king of adapting, don't they? Let's yeah. just enjoy that silence, shall we? See, no, see, you did almost did such a good job there, Seb, not to invade the silence, but I knew I you wouldn't be able to handle it. it. I just couldn't uh, let it. I just, I was so uncomfortable. I just couldn't. Alex, do can do continue. So I think, I think in terms of what they want from a fullback, um, it's somebody who can provide width, either working as a wing back or working ahead of a, a kind of a narrowing midfield, almost a sort of four-two-two-two. Um, because uh, Andy Naylor in his piece for The Athletic was saying how how Potter sort of wants to do more of that, in which case it's incumbent on the fullbacks to get forwards an awful lot. The the dream pick, I think, would be Philip Kostic at Eintracht Frankfurt. Um, He's been consistently one of the best um, left-sided defenders in the Bundesliga for a good few years now. Um, He will guarantee assists. Uh, He's defensively pretty solid as well. Um, and he's used to working with a back three. Um, the other option is Anthony Chachi, Catchy, I don't know, um, at Strasbourg, um, who is somebody who we've we've highlighted before in previous Sensible Transfer videos, just consistently gets the ball forwards well. Um, he's not quite as quick or dynamic, but he will 
um, move the ball with good passing into good areas. He's not necessarily going to like whiz around on the overlap and pull crosses back, um, but there's a solidity there. He can also fill in uh, as a centre-back as well, which is a good option if if Brighton want to play three at the back. Um, so, yeah, those are, those are my two choices. Okay, lots of, lots of different possibilities uh, in terms of play style. I like it very much. Seb, uh, left back, please. Rico Henry, Brentford. Um, I Alex's point is really interesting and you know very pertinent. There are no rules really with Graham Potter's fullbacks because um, it's quite a Brighton remain quite a fluid idea. So I've just found the kind of the, the most interesting, the most uh, dynamic, the most um, cost efficient player I could think of really. Um, and Henry's interesting. Like he's been around for a long time. He grew up at Walsall before he went to Brentford. Um, very good player, very well thought of in the game. Certainly could play in the Premier League. And uh, yeah, and also obviously that that would, would provide a, a very nice contrast to what's there already. Because if you go from a fullback who is six foot seven, tallest fullback in in the history of the, of organised hmm. football, to to Rico Henry, that's quite a contrast. But then that could be quite useful. And, and a manager like Graham Potter who um, is open to new ideas and shifting away from formations and styles is um, you know, that could be a strength. So yeah, Rico Henry, I'd like that one. Charles Pumphrey asks for a striker. Uh, Alex, can you can you give me some names for a striker? Yeah, so Brighton really needs somebody who can score goals, obviously, um, but somebody who can also kind of drop in uh, and assist with link-up play. Um, I, I picked two strikers, actually, for the, the Sensible Transfers article that I, I did with Andy um, for The Athletic. So I'm just going to say those names um, because it's easier. Um, Mirko Maric, who's uh, Osijek uh, in the Croatian top tier. Um, he's What's nice about him is his ability to drop off and play through passes to other people. He, he kind of creates like a 10, but he will also be up and, and finish like a 9. Um, he got 20 goals last season. Uh, a slightly different style of striker, but also from the Croatian top tier, is Antonio Kolak, um, who was at Rijelka, um, again scored 20 goals. He's more of an aerial presence, um, think someone like Palencia at, at Eintracht Frankfurt, somebody who will contest balls, who will hold the play up well, but also has nice deft feet um, who can contribute to link up. And and that's, you know, I think everyone, well, not everyone, but most most people are looking now for strikers, particularly if they're playing with with one up um, who can who can drop off and and kind of act as a creator as well. Brighton, if they play with two up, they'll play with Neil Morpé, who's quick and small and stocky and will look to run into a through balls. So they either want somebody who can feed that or they want somebody who can win flick-ons and get Morpé going in behind. Those are, those are two options that will do either of those things. Might interest you to know that uh, the current goalkeeper of uh, Houston Dynamo uh, is a, a player called Marco Maric, also Croatian. So you know, is that closer to being similar? Yeah, that's much. That's much closer. Thank you. That's good, Seb. Uh, presumably, the task here one might take a, a route of saying perhaps a supplementary uh, assistance or backup for for Neil Mope rather than a replacement, right? Yeah, absolutely, Jay. So I mean, that's kind of the mentality I was working on. I don't want to find a, a replacement. I want to find someone that's similar to Mope. Um, who would potentially work in the system in the same way and who wouldn't cause disruption. So I've gone for John Cadova from uh, Cologne. 
um, who was quite impressive. He scored 13 goals from, from 23 starts in the Bundesliga last season, which um, for a team that weren't prolific, I mean, you know, they weren't goal shy, Cologne, but um, they that, that, that's a pretty good return. And, and he has a lot of the same abilities. Uh, he's a mobile forward, um, seems to work well with, um, you know, the kind of players that Brighton have. Lucas Trasada really liked, by the way, uh, at Brighton. I don't think we've seen the best of him yeah. yet. Really nice yeah. player. Um, and... Yeah, I just I, I don't what I don't want to do is I, I don't want to sort of stick in a, a you know a, a seven foot ten target man and say right well that's your plan B. Let's Nikolai try and create... <laughs> God, I've forgotten about him. What a player! He's one, he's one of the best of all time. He was. <laughs> I think he was six foot seven. He, he, he was. was he, he very nearly went to Arsenal. I remember there was one. I think he was summer. actually six foot eight, guys. No, I, think I think he was, he was actually six foot yeah. eight. Okay. I think he was. But what a player! What a right, what, what a, a head! What a, he had a big yeah. head, and he always headed the ball because his didn't head was run. very big. Just no, he didn't, 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 didn't need to run. Didn't just, need to run. Stride, and you're you know you're keeping up pace with Marcus Rashford at that at that height. He should be a defensive midfielder then, by that rationale, shouldn't he? Yeah, I just loved Nikola Zigic. I really liked him, and also I loved when he was paired. There was a season where he was paired with um, at Birmingham. What was his name? You know. Really famous. He scored the goal in the, the League Cup final against Arsenal. Oh, Obafemi Martins. Yeah, there was a season where he played alongside Obafemi Martins and the height disparity was just stunning. <laughs> it really was like the, the exemplary uh, of that um, <laughs> little and big combination. But I've derailed you with thoughts we, of the we past. We used to have, um, sorry, we used to have Peter Crouch and Kevin Phillips playing alongside each Ooh, other. Nice, which, nice, nice. Which was absolutely Incredible. that, yeah. Yeah. Well, do you know what? Whoever you are, whatever your shape, whatever your size, you can offer something to Birmingham and Southampton. So there you go. Uh, uh, please continue, Seb. So um, we spoke a little bit um, a couple of days ago about this and uh, Brighton need goals. We know that. Um, they scored 39, uh, only 39 all season, which is fewer than um, Bournemouth, fewer than Villa, Burnley and Sheffield United. So they're not they're not in the good part of that category. Um, I don't think the answer is to try and find a 25 goal a season, man. It's to, you know, supplement the the, the squad with goals. So we've done that with Cordoba. Um, but also, and this is a player who's who's been linked to all kinds of other clubs, but the best fit for him by far is probably Brighton. Um, Eberich Easy from um, from uh, QPR. Just a lovely, lovely player to watch, um, you know, full of skill and technique and ability. And I like him to compete for, um, for Aaron Moy's spot in that side. It's kind of like a... I suppose it's, it's sort of the modern equivalent of the number 10 role, but he is um, he's interesting. And uh, if Brighton could do something for under 20 million pounds, I think that'd be a really good deal. Is that your midfield pick? No, well, it's my attacking supplement the forward line pick. Oh, okay. Um, so I haven't, I haven't, I haven't done a, a pure midfielder. I've just got, um, I've just got that kind of support because I wanted to do the, this goal, address this goals problem by committee. So I think that's oh, quite nice. nice. Bring those two players in. I think we're in a pretty good place at Brighton. Yeah. Well, in that case, I'll finish off with Alex because Chili Sharp asks for a creative uh, stroke attacking midfielder. Um, brackets, our brackets, not not Chili Sharp's brackets, probably to compete with with Moy. Um, wh- what do you think, Alex? I think it's it's an odd one in terms of working out exactly how Brighton want their midfielders to play, because as we've said. Potter has this flexibility that you can see him kind of coming up with different solutions to who's going to get the ball into the strikers, whether the striker is dropping off, that kind of thing. Obviously, if you if you drop in a player like um, Easy, then you, you're you getting creativity and dynamism from from him. I, I think you can get it from slightly further back. 
Um, there's a guy called Marcel Harkin um, at Armenia Bielefeld, who's um, in Bundesliga too, got 13 assists last season. Um, the reason I like him is that he's he's kind of stocky. He's extremely busy. He likes to push up and operate in the space just around the penalty area with really nice through passing. But he is also a very, very aggressive presser. Um, he's not shy of putting in a tackle. So while he is effectively a 10, um, because he's coming out of that quite high octane style of German coaching, you could play him further back and you get that kind of balance of creativity uh, and, and busyness and pressing and defensive work. Um, he looks ready to step up. Uh, you know, it's always difficult with players that are at that sort of level. But I think there are certain coaches, and I would count Potter among them, who can take a player who is otherwise not necessarily going to develop to that level and be able to do that with them. Uh, I think Potter's really, really smart in that way. So, you know, Brighton have shown that they're not afraid to shop outside of kind of the obvious leagues. Um, yeah. And and I think uh, that would be an interesting one to go for. It is interesting. Lovely stuff. I'm excited about watching Brighton next year. I'm glad they're still still in the league. Um, okay, well, that's the end of, of Brighton uh, and also the end of the podcast. So uh, thank you to, to Alex Stewart. Thank you. Thank you to Seb Stafford-Bloor. Thank you. And thank you to you, dear listener, those of you still with us, true friends or um, asleep. Uh, but uh, thanks very much for, for spending this time with us and downloading the podcast. Uh, a little treat for you is uh, for me to remind you that if you want to read a Sensible Transfers piece about your team, you can do so on The Athletic. And uh, the best way to do that is to get 40% off an annual subscription by visiting theathletic.com forward slash TIFO transfers. That's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO transfers. Now we will be back in two days time. Uh, for the next few weeks, we'll be releasing three podcast episodes a week. Uh, so that'll be an additional episode on Saturdays. And uh, this Saturday's episode, I believe we cover Tottenham, Burnley and West Ham. So look out for that. Uh, but for now, that's all. Thank you very much and au revoir. <laughs>